Good morning again. This morning I'm beginning a new series of messages in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm calling the series Snapshots of Jesus. I chose this title because each of the Gospels paints a different picture of who Jesus is. Sometimes we read all the Gospels together and we don't catch the uniqueness of each Gospel. But I think that we, if we will take time and to focus on each Gospel and how it portrays and represents Jesus, we'll learn things about Jesus that will be important to us and helpful to us. We forget that each of the Gospel writers had a unique personality, a unique audience, and a unique way of writing. And they each saw different things about Jesus that were important to them. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at uh, four things that Luke shares about Jesus that are unique in the way that he presents the story of Jesus to us. Again, snapshots. And today, the snapshot of Jesus I want you to see is that very often in the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus praying. It was the custom of Jesus uh, often and as recorded by the Gospel of Luke, to retreat to a lonely place after a busy day or busy season, or to get up early in the morning and to take time away from his schedule to, to kneel and to pray and to reflect and to hear from God. In fact, the Gospel of Luke has been called the Gospel of Prayer. Because in Luke... Jesus prays more in this gospel than any of the other gospels combined. And we see him praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see him praying in busy moments. We see him praying in moments of agony and suffering and pain. We see him praying for his enemies. We, we see him praying as he's making difficult decisions or choosing his apostles. One thing I realized that Whenever I speak on the subject of prayer, it always has the same result, though. There are always those who are in the congregation that feel some anxiety about prayer. And the reason for that is they, 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 will, they feel like I don't pray enough, or I don't know how to pray, or I'm unsure about prayer, I, I'm not focused in my prayer. So let me just reassure you. I probably, as much as anybody in this room, this is a struggle for me, prayer. I know it's important, but I struggle with it. And the reason I struggle with it is because I have ADHD. I lack focus. I have trouble focusing in and having a conversation about anything for very long. I am an ambidextrous conversationalist. <laughs> I made that up. That basically means I can talk to two people at the same time and carry on two conversations and completely understand all of it. And, yeah, and, yeah, and so I... And so, and so when I pray, often I'll be praying, and next thing you know, I'm thinking about something else. Is this true of anyone? So of everyone else, I'm sure. So my point today is I don't want you to feel guilty. Because I bet that most people in this room probably think I could pray more, need to pray more, or something else. I don't want you to feel guilty. And in fact, if I make you feel guilty this morning, then I have failed in this message. It's because that we get the wrong idea of what, about what prayer is. Prayer is not an obligation. It's not a have to. 
It's not something you should do, kind of like going to the dentist. You know, you got to go to the dentist, you got to pray. Prayer, prayer is an invitation. It's an invitation to a boundless life with God. I love that word boundless. It's, it's not a word that we use very often, but it's a good word. I, I looked up the word this week in the dictionary. I found out that boundless is an adjective. It means without limit. It means immense, immeasurable, abundant, abounding, great, inexhaustible, never-ending, infinite, unfailing, unfading, unceasing, everlasting. When you think about prayer in that way, it just it expands what prayer means for us. That, that prayer is not something that we do that limits us, but something that expands us. Uh, it's, it's entering into a joy-filled relationship with God. The reason, I think, one of the reasons we don't pray is that we think of God as maybe black and white or stern and judgmental, uh, humorless. Uh, excuse me if you're a librarian. I'm not making light of a librarian, but God's kind of like a holy librarian. Anytime you speak too loud or have too much fun, shh, it's quiet. But, but God is joy-filled and creative. How can prayer be boring when we're praying and speaking with the one who created sunrises and sunsets and sunflowers and everything that we can see? God is immensely creative. And so the gospel is that the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus wants to expand your life so that you can enjoy your life and enjoy every moment of it. I love this um, quote by Eugene Peterson. You may not be f familiar with Eugene Peterson, but he wrote a really good translation of the Bible called The Message. It's very creative. He said this, and I think this is true, uh, the way a lot of people view Christians. He said the word Christian means different things to different people. To one person, it means a stiff, upright, inflexible way of life, colorless and unbending. Now, if you ask most people, a lot of people outside of the church, they will say that's what Christianity is like. Unbending, lacking in color, lacking in excitement, because that's the way it's been presented. Christians who represent the colorful, creative God sometimes are so unimaginative and so uncreative and so dull, like this sermon. But to another, it means a risky, surprise-filled adventure lived on tiptoe at the edge of expectation. If we get our information from the biblical material, there's no doubt that the Christian life is dancing and leaping and a daring life. I mean, just look at the biblical account. Look at all the stories. You, you hear the story of this older couple, Abraham and Sarah, who are in their 80s. And one day God comes up to him and says, hey, I got this idea, big idea, big idea, Abraham. You and Sarah are going to have a baby. What? <laughs> a baby? At 80? Yeah, and not only that, but you're going to move. You're going to sell everything that you have, and you're going to move to a place you've never been before. And your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. You know? Well, then one day David little boy, David, shepherd boy, and this prophet comes and looks at him and says, one day, got this idea, you're going to be the king of Israel. 
You see, that's what God is like. God is this dancing, leaping, joy-filled, creative God who wants to take you on an adventure. He didn't put you on this earth to sleep through it or hurry through it or to endure it, but to enjoy it. Prayer is an invitation to this boundless life. So what I want to do now is I want to walk you through uh, these nine instances where Jesus prays, and I will do it briefly. No need to grab a Bible. You've got the references there, and you can do it on your own when you get home. But here are nine examples of where Jesus prays, and it reveals to us the character of what prayer is like. The first example is found in Luke chapter 3, the first time Jesus prays. Jesus prays at his baptism. He leaves home, he finds John in the wilderness, and he's baptized. And this is what it says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, Jesus was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and filled him. And he heard God say, you are my son and you are my beloved. So there we see an example that, that prayer is that moment, that time when we open ourselves up to God and God fills us and, and we are affirmed for who we are, that we, that we belong to God. The next instance is this in the Gospels in chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It's a remarkable story. Uh, where Jesus meets a leper. The leper is a scorned person, an outcast person, who would have been avoided by religious types. But instead, Jesus embraces him, actually touches the leper, does this risky thing, shows compassion. The result is that crowds of people begin to gather around Jesus. They bring their uncles, their aunts, their children, the blind, the lame, the sick, and big crowds of people begin to follow Jesus. And this is what it says. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. And then he adds this line, but Jesus often drew, withdrew to lonely places to pray, for quiet, for solitude, to reflect, for peace. The next instance we see in the Gospel of Luke is in chapter 6. In chapter 6, Jesus is facing some pretty important decisions. Who would carry on his work when he's gone? Who would be his apostles? And it says that one of those days, Jesus went out on the mountainside to pray, and he spent the entire night praying to God. And when morning came, after that night of praying and discernment of making this decision, he chose his 12 apostles and appointed them to be his disciples. Then on another occasion, in chapter 9, uh, we see Jesus in a different circumstance. Now he has his apostles around him. He's been teaching them. He's been He's been uh, communicating with them. They've been watching him. And it says here in this text, he says that when Jesus is praying in private with his disciples, he was praying in private with his disciples, and he discerned that that was the moment to ask them an important question. Who am I? And that's when Peter gets it right and says, you are the Lord. And then the very next instance where he prays is where he is praying. It says in chapter 11, he says, One day Jesus is praying in a certain place, and when he finished, now get this, his disciples are watching him pray. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Jesus, we, we noticed that prayer is important to you. We would like to know how to pray. Would you teach us? And that's where he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that, the prayer that we prayed earlier this morning. Now, this is an important point I want to make to you, that oftentimes we think that prayer, is, and it is, it's just a conversation between us and God. We talk about anything and everything. 
But I also want to point out to you the value, the supreme value of praying prayers that have already been prayed, that have been written. There are whole books of prayers. The Bible is filled with prayers. And using prayers that other people have prayed in order to shape us and to form us. The reason that's important is because, I don't know about you, but about me, but I can't trust my own praying. You know what I mean by that? I'm not always honest with myself, and if I can't be honest with myself, it's sometimes hard to be honest with God. Selfish people pray selfish prayers. Greedy people pray greedy prayers. Angry people pray angry prayers. And no matter how much I come before God, and I want God's agenda to be my agenda, I'm always trying to convince God how right I am about it. Am I just talking to me? I'm always trying to get God to do something for me. And so the value of taking a prayer like a Thomas Merton prayer or Francis of Assisi or the Book of Common Prayer or a psalm like the 23rd Psalm of the Lord's Prayer is to allow it to shape us. Let me give you an example. Have you heard of the serenity prayer? Perhaps you have. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever, forever in the next. It's a beautiful prayer. When you pray that prayer, it shapes you, forms you. Or this other prayer, there used to be a man in this church, his name was Jack McComas. Anybody remember Jack McComas? Jack McComas was a starry-eyed dreamer who did not live with his feet on the ground. He was a retired preacher, and I used to go for a ride with him in the ugliest car imaginable, totally unsafe. I remember one time, he was always talking about the love of God, and one time the unconditional love, the unconditional love of God, David, he would say over and over again. And we were riding down Shelbyville Road in the middle of the road. His dog is in the back seat. He's looking at me like this, and we're driving. And I said, I know that God's love is unconditional, but I would like to wait too later to go meet him. But Jack, Jack used to hand out this prayer to, to everyone that met him. It was this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. To be loved is the love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. This is the same prayer of St. Assisi. Here's what's significant about it. If you knew this man, Jack McComas, he was that prayer. Prayed that prayer every day. So, so then we see another moment with Jesus. We see Jesus and his disciples on another mountain. In Luke 9, it says about eight days after Jesus said this, Uh, The Lord's Prayer, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up to a mountain to pray. And it says, as he was praying, his appearance changed before them, and he was transfigured before them. He's talking to God. Now, this is interesting and instructive, because in that moment, what do the disciples do? They, excuse me, Jesus, we want to interrupt you. I know you're talking to your Father, but we have an important matter to discuss. 
Would we please, could we please start a building program? We want to build three shelters and we want to make a shrine for this moment. And then God basically says to, in the moment, shut up. That's my translation. (laughs) Would you just shut up and listen and observe him as he's praying? It's not about doing something. It's about it being something. And then we see in Luke 22 that Jesus begins to pray for his disciples. Luke 22, 32, he prays for Simon. He says, Simon, I pray for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back that you will strengthen your brothers. The thing I want you to notice about Jesus' prayer life is that I believe that not only did Jesus pray for his disciples, but he prays for you. The Bible teaches that Jesus intercedes for us with God. That that we have someone in our corner, someone who loves us and knows us. And that when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, it's just not abstract sins, it's your sins, it's for you. He knows you, he knows your name, he knows who you are. And that Jesus not only prayed for his disciples, but he continues to pray for every one of you. You this morning may be weak and struggling, tired and grieving and hurting and sad. You this morning may be passionate, excited and unfocused, but... Jesus intercedes for you, strengthens you. And then we see in Luke 22, in a moment of agony in the garden, where he prays that, it says that the cup would be passed from him, that he wouldn't have to go through this moment of pain and suffering. And then it says, and in that moment of pain and suffering and struggle and prayer, it says that the Holy Spirit, an angel came and strengthened him. That that moment of prayer strengthen him. Let me just tell you, I can't tell you how true this is. In those moments when I'm able to be quiet, in those moments when I'm failing, in those moments when I'm scared, in those moments when I'm fearful, if I can just sit and be quiet long enough, at some point in the silence, a voice will break through and say, no matter what happens, I will never leave you. God's love is bigger than what you're going through. Oh, somebody needed to hear that this morning. Hear it. God's love is bigger than what you're going through. We need to hear that in prayer. And in the last moment in the Gospel of Luke, chapter, the ninth example, it says, when they came to the place called the skull, this is chapter 23, and they crucified him, in that moment he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then his very last words, his very last words on the cross in Luke was a prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now those are the nine examples of prayer in the Gospel of Luke. And if you want to know how to pray and you want to know what prayer is, I recommend you go and read through those stories and read those examples and study them for yourself. And I I promise you, if you will do that in a quiet place, God will speak to you. God will address your concerns. So I want to draw this one application from this of many applications of what I learned from reading through these examples. And it is this. It's it's a truth, I believe. That the most important thing, the most important thing is not what you do, but who you become. Let me say, it's not what you do, it's who you become. We think that life is about what we do. This job, this title, this role. But that's, and while that's important, God's biggest concern is who you're becoming. 
What kind of person will you be? Sometimes we get so wrapped up around the idea of what is God's plan for me? What is God's job for me? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Well, the truth is, it doesn't really matter that much. What matters is who you are while you're doing whatever you're doing. Did you catch that? Doesn't matter what job you have. Doesn't matter what kind of family you have. Doesn't matter whether you're married or single. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what situation. Doesn't matter if you're sick. Doesn't matter if you're healthy. All those things are just things that happen in life. It's just a part of life. You didn't get, you didn't get singled out by life for something bad. To, it's just a part of life. What matters is who are you becoming? Are we becoming like Jesus? And you see, prayer, the purpose of prayer is to shape us. God uses what happens to us in our lives as the raw material for forming us and shaping us. It's in those moments where we talk to God about who we are, what we're going through. So God can make us, back to the virtues, compassionate, kind, loving, grateful, humble, persevering. All those things. You see, the, 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 the result of a life with God in prayer is that it begins to produce fruit in your life. And I want to promise you, if you start becoming more like him, you'll be less anxious and less fearful and more faithful. And you'll begin to see everything around you change and begin to turn. It is true. So, and here's, here's the gospel. This sounds so simple, but it is so profound. Here's the good news about where you're going. Let me ask you, so where are you going? What are you becoming? Where are you going and what are you becoming? That's the big question. Who are you becoming? Are you becoming more of the person you're called to be? Well, here's the gospel. You can get there from here. Did you catch that? Wherever you're going and whoever you're becoming... You can get there from here, from this sad place, this happy place, this grieving place, this depressed place, this broken place. You don't have to go somewhere to get there because you can find your way from here with God. God starts where you are. You walked in, I can't be a part of a church. I, you know this, I got, it's, you get there from here, wherever you are. That's the gospel. So here, this is the purpose of prayer. I'm going to give you a bunch of words, a bunch of words. So then the purpose of prayer as it's forming us is to open us, to open our hearts, to fill us with his spirit and his presence, to expand our imagination. We, 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 just, we can't see anything beyond what we can see, and then God helps us see new possibilities to strengthen our resolve and our commitment, to heal our sorrows and to heal our wounds, and to slow us down. I put this one in the middle because I, I wanted to pause here. Because, you know, life goes so fast. And the older you get, the faster it goes. And the reason is because when you're a child, you just focus on the moment. Right here, right now, this moment, this joy, this experience. When you get older, you get so many worries, so many concerns, and life just passes you by. And I think God created the world around us for us to enjoy. And I think God doesn't want us to endure and to hurry through life, but to enjoy it. You only, 
get one. And so God says, hey, slow down. Take a breath. Did you see that flower I made? Did you see that sunrise? Do you feel that hand in your hand? So slow us down to reveal his purpose to us, to expose our motives, to change our minds. We sometimes think that we're going to change God's mind. God, would you do this? How often do we bargain with God? God, I want you to do this for me. I want you to change the situation for me. Fix this person. And you know who God wants to change? You. And to ignite our passion, the purpose of prayer is also to just enjoy God. Reality is there really is no purpose to prayer other than just to enjoy God. Let me give you an example. It's, it's an unusual example. But uh, my mom, I talk to my mom every day because she has my number. <laughs> you know what? She knows how to text. And if she doesn't answer, if I don't answer the phone call, she will then send me a text. Where are you? What are you doing? Well, I'm always doing the same thing. She'll call me in the middle of the morning. And what do you do in the middle of the morning? You're working, right? You have a job. My mom has no job except to call me. <laughs> so every day my mom calls me at different times of the day. But why? Because she's my mom. And the other day, the other day she called me, and she's, it's like 10 in the morning, and I'm really busy. I'm working on this sermon, in fact. And she goes, what are you doing? Working on a sermon. What's the sermon about? Da, da, da. Why is it about that? And I said, Mom, did you want something? <laughs> and she says, she says, I wanted to tell you about something that happened. And I'm thinking, what is it? And she goes, well, I was watching TV this morning. And I'm thinking, where is this going? She said there was a man on TV and he had the cutest dog. I want to tell you about this cute dog. And the man put an orange. This, <laughs> this is my life. It's all our lives, right? That's what moms do. So she's, she says, he put an orange in the freezer. Now, I'm busy. I'm working. I'm serious. I'm a minister at a church. <laughs> he says, she says, he put an orange in the freezer and took it out and put it on the floor, and the dog loved it. And then she says, maybe you should do that for your dog. <laughs> and, and then I said, I said, well, that's great, Mom. Talk to you later. <laughs> and I realized, I realized when I hung up the phone, you know what? No one five minutes after the service is going to remember what I talked about today. I won't remember the sermon two weeks from now, but I'll remember that conversation with my mother. That life isn't always about getting stuff done. You should never be too busy to talk to your mom. But, but relationships are meant to be enjoyed. And you know what? I think God just sometimes wants to talk to you about oranges and puppies and babies and, and fun. Did you, know, did you see that? Did you notice that? And sometimes it's just about saying, oh, wow, look at that. Thank you. And just paying attention. This whole world, this whole world, everything around us, every, everything around us is infused with the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. I don't know how we can look at the world and say there is no God. I don't know how we can. And I end with this final statement. 
Do you know why we meet with God? Because we can. 